0: Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name's Trevor Strunk. Hey, on Twitter, and I'm here with uh, Andrew, who is you better you know him better as uh, Illy Bosian on Twitter. Uh, I'm assuming you're following him, but if not, follow him at I L L Y B O C E A N. Uh, Andrew, hi, uh, welcome to the show.
1: Hey man, very nice to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, so, describe this a little bit. You have a you have a kind of an overarching uh, series of things to talk with us about today, including some uh, clarifications on Australian gaming and open world gaming. But how are how are you sort of like imagining uh, our conversation going today?
1: Well, uh, I've been listening to um, you know your previous episodes. I am a subscriber on the Patreon, after all. Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you know, I was listening to uh, my fellow compatriot uh, Matt V Brady. On. And you guys just kind of touched on uh, the Australian classification system, uh, which kind of has some some weird little little foibles. And um, I thought that was a that was a pretty interesting subject. I remember a lot of that stuff going on. I thought it might be interesting to touch on a bit of that. And um, as I as I sort of got to thinking about that, that kind of made me think about some of the games uh, that have actually been banned or refused classification in Australia, and some of those themselves, uh, you know, from from series. Series of games that, uh, that I have always been a big fan of. Um, or mainly the kind of thing that I play the most these days, which is open world games. Mm. Um, and you know, in listening to some of your other episodes, I, I really started to think about, you know, when listening to different people about, um, what it is that I actually value in games because listening to all these really different people with very different takes on things, you know, from, from the sort of very casual gaming to, to full on, you know, academia uh, people all had really different different angles that they come at games from and a lot of people you know have very different different childhood memories of gaming um at <laughs> the age we're all getting to uh, <laughs> yeah people yep. have very very different memories of gaming from childhood and from growing up and you know um, and yeah i started to think about what what is that kind of through line in gaming of of what is it that I've sort of taken the most value from out of games, and that kind of also led me into thinking what what things produce the biggest disconnect with me uh, mm-hmm. when I'm playing games, and That's and and they're often games that people love, you know, like um, whole whole genres of games as well. I will say, <laughs> obviously, you know, not everything is suited to everybody's tastes, but um, but you know, I started to think about some of those things that historically I've found that. When I, when I come up against them in a game, it just really, really takes me out of it, you know? Great. Right. Um, yeah, so, so that was kind of the little path I was thinking about.
0: Sounds perfect. So um, I really, I'm very, very interested. I'm glad that you wanted to start with this Australian uh, classification system because I had the feeling it was deeper than what we got to on the podcast with Matt. Um, and so I'm glad you have some more to add to that. I, I And I know Matt feels this way, too. And I'm, and you do, and it seems like every Australian does. Your your uh, political scene is um, something to behold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can for for American listeners or or just non-Australian listeners in general, can you sort of characterize it a little bit for us? Like it 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 seems from a from an outsider's perspective that it's a lot of people um, saying the most bombastic thing that's on their mind, and then people voting for it. Um, But not like a new thing like with Trump like it's just been that way for 40 years at this point
1: Yeah, I think um, Well, it's it's interesting because from a from an external perspective or you know when you get Australian tourists overseas I think people have that whole kind of Crocodile Dundee um, Aussie larrikin (laughs) kind of image, you know, but we have a lot of aspects of of our Society and political system particularly that are like very very kind of uptight very um you know in the same way that australia i'm sorry america has um you know a lot of those strains of puritism puritanism running through its culture sure um you know we we also have these similar things with uh particularly you know political stuff um movies uh games even porno where the way that we classify those things um when you break it down, it starts to look really restrictive. Um, I think much more restrictive than, than classifications on things in the states.
0: Well, I know there was like the there was the a bit of the of a dust up about pornography classifications in porno or I'm sorry, pornography classifications in uh, the UK maybe like a couple years ago, and I know Theresa May has hinted at it again. Where like they actually like um, I remember I remember because people were making jokes about it on Twitter. Like they they actually sort of like categorized every sex act and said like which ones are which ones are appropriate and which ones won't be shown on like british isps etc is it kind of like that like in terms of you don't have to tell me about Uh, it but like that is it like i'll
1: I'll tell you about the porno
0: yeah do Uh, it (laughs) no because because
1: it's it's kind of related um so yeah what, what the situation we had here for a start was that um you know we have a we have a similar thing where we have states and territories and then we have a federal government OK. And, you know, like like with your system, the two don't always overlap. Um, So for a very long time, uh, the I think the video game rating system was established in like the early 90s, the very early 90s. Um, But as things were very much treated as, you know, games for kids, they didn't have the same ratings that they had for uh, movies and that sort of stuff where they had, you know, a, a hard R rating and that kind of stuff. Um, so for a very long time up until the 2000s, um, we, things could only be rated up until an M rating, which is for, uh, 15 year olds. Um, but not like a hard restriction, just like this is recommended for people 15 and over. Um, then at some point they introduced trying to sort of bridge that gap between that and what in Australia is an R rating, which is restricted to 18 and over, um, They introduced a rating which was um, MA, uh, MA 15 plus, which is um, unlike the M rating of being recommended. It's restricted to people 15 and over. But even that, but even that, still left this fuzzy area between uh, things that you know you could restrict to people over 15 and things that you know people under 18 could not buy or watch or see. Um, Now a lot of that. Related to like violence, drug use, that sort of stuff. Um, so, like, yeah, we I think a lot of our biggest restrictions in both uh, pornography and video games uh, to do with um, any kind of uh, sexual violence. Okay.
0: Um,
1: so, or or in video games, particularly um, the the uh, suggestion of uh, like incentive or reward related to sex so like a leisure suit larry game got banned for example because you know <laughs> No part way, of the, really yeah 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 man part of the angle <laughs> is that you're is a, you you putting sex as a goal in a game um,
0: wow that's wild because of course like in leisure suit larry the you're just you're not very good at getting the goal either like no well joke about leisure suit larry is that he's not very appealing well, and it's pretty
1: like they've always been a relatively playful game. I mean, granted, yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I've played any since maybe the first or second Sierra one on a on like a PC. You know, when you had the code wheel. No, no, with Leisure Suit yeah. Larry, they asked you the questions. Oh yeah, you're right. They were like, who, the... who was the vice president in '72? <laughs> it, was, it was that kind of stuff. I and love were, I
0: love old DRM. It's so funny
1: well we didn't have um you know there was no wikipedia then and it was yeah. even rougher because they were american questions <laughs> it's even harder for us yeah but, uh, absolutely well that was in 2004 leisure suit larry magna come loud it was okay. uh, banned because of sexuality and nudity in relation to incentives and rewards hmm. so um so yeah the thing that they lean particularly hard on is um is sexual violence and that extends to even the suggestion of sexual violence um so let me let me explain what this means. Uh, this is a passage from uh, an article in like 2011 on uh, from ABC News, which is the Australian ABC, the um, which is di- yeah Australian different, to, broadcast different to the, the ABC that, there. there. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, right. So things get less obvious when it comes to violence associated with sex, uh, and this is how they classify a lot of this stuff. Uh, Violence, rough or injurious physical force, action or treatment. This includes actual violence, shooting, punching, pushing, throwing a person, etc. This relates to pornography, by the way. Um, Implied violence, a gunshot sound effect, a news article or mugshots. The aftermath of violence, uh, a person with an injury or dead body. The threat of violence, I will kill you. And violent behavior, like a woman holding holding a gun while having sex. Um, <laughs> just that constant yeah, you know, any and all violence type. even if it looks contrived or unrealistic in parentheses plastic swords etc uh, depictions of dead people mm. are also not permitted so in Australian <laughs> pornography um, yeah you, you can't have two people having sex with a gun sitting on a table in a background because there is the vague implicit suggestion that perhaps one of them is under the threat of violence if they don't have sex or something like that. Um, Interesting. You know, and they and they have a, a bunch of other stricter rules about stuff um, here. I mean, a, a lot of stuff that comes out of America um, absolutely can't be sold in Australia. Like any, like we're saying, anything with any kind of violence. Um, we even have a classification that revolves around. Um, uh, women looking like they are particularly young, so and they they also use they also use breast size oh. to gauge this. So yeah, if a woman has oh, particularly no. small breasts, they'll they'll say, "Well, you're trying to make it look like she's younger than she is," so we'll ban that one. Or you kinda have like pigtails and long socks and schoolgirl outfits and all of that sort of stuff. So
0: it's it's funny to hear all this because like on a certain level. It, it, you can you right. can see that you can see the logic right where like you, you're thinking like well i don't like sexual violence and well i don't like pedophilia like that makes a lot of sense to sort of curb those things as best you can even the mm. even the implications of them right because like obviously we would we would curb anything in america that had you know that was explicit like violence within like you know if someone filmed a, a, a an act of sexual violence um that would not be permissible to put online or or sell or whatever Um, same with pedophilia, but of course there's things Mm. that kind of like skirt that line. Right. But it's also, it's also so funny to think about like, you you just like, you immediately sort of get into that weird gray area where someone, you know, a a a sex worker is going to say like, yeah, look, like I am, I'm not trying to do anything bad here. I'm not trying to suggest anything. I just happen to have small breasts and I'm in pornography. Like, why are you banning my videos? This is like, this is
1: pretty hurtful. Um, (laughs)
0: that's <laughs> like it's just such oh. a
1: weird. Oh, it seems it seems uh, hugely arbitrary, like so much of our classification does. And of course, all of this happens in the yeah. course of something being submitted to the classification board. It gets submitted somewhere. Mm. Someone off in a room looks at it, arbitrarily decides on that day. Hey, this thing kind of maybe this crosses the line for me. Maybe it doesn't, and we'll ban this thing. Um, so with video games it's, it's similar where things will be submitted, things will become available for sale something else will go on sale and get tagged for something that another video game had in it and got sold with two years ago you know um, One example of that actually that um, that's on the list here is um, do you remember a series of games called Soldier of Fortune? I do. Uh, that had particularly gory dismemberment of yeah. Um, that
0: wasn't that the game where you could like you could oh like where like you had like twenty odd points of articulation where it would do yeah, different things yeah. if you shot them like the end the the ads I remember were like you could shoot them in the head you could shoot them in the testicles you could shoot them wherever you yep. want.
1: Okay. Yes, I do. I remember at what I'm sure was an inappropriately young age playing um, Soldier of Fortune Two Double Helix. I okay. think it was um, and yeah you could you could like shoot a guy get down with a knife and like cut off their hand at the wrist and then cut off their hand at the elbow and then cut off their hand at the shoulder wow and <laughs> or like yeah blast off all the points from them with a shotgun all that sort of stuff that's brilliant um, now I remember playing that game I remember playing that game that obviously someone I know bought uh, but much later than that in 2007 Soldier of Fortune Payback was banned because of high impact gory violence Hmm. so that would have been you know a very very significant amount of time later um it's really it's really interesting to think about the
0: the differences between the american and the australian one and the way that you're describing it i mean just from a qualitative standpoint so like obviously there's a ton of quantitative difference um and that's probably the most interesting what you've just been describing but like what strikes me is that so like when you were talking about the difference between the m and the ma ratings in video games um, I was surprised because in America we have, um, what it's like K a like, kids and anyone. Um, mm-hmm. there's the, there's a G or a K O, I guess. Um, there's a G, which is like anyone. Um, I think it's G it's been a while. Uh, it's <laughs> Y. Um, and then there's T, which is teen and then M A or M which is 17 and up and i think Mm. for a lot of the m games you have to have unless you're 17 or older you have to have a parent with you so like you know kids can't go ahead and buy like grand theft auto 5
1: necessarily at a
0: GameStop. um although steam's made that a little more arbitrary
1: um in any case well that's that's an issue here too Um, i bet
0: yeah i i don't want to i don't want to jump the gun that's going to be my next question to you so so uh, (laughs) so so marshall your thoughts uh but it seems to me that, like, it seems to me that the the U.S. system has been fairly static since it was put in place for uh, movies. So, like, you know, that's kind of, like, classically the... That's the locus classicus of any kind of rating system in America, as far as I can tell, uh, is, is the MPAA uh, rating systems for um, the Motion Picture Association of America's uh, rating systems for movies. So, G, PG, PG-13, and R... And then above R, rarely NC-17, uh, which is restricted to people who are 17 and older, because um, R movies you can go see with a parent even if you're you know five or whatever, and uh, uh, X uh, in in sort of rare or pornographic cases. Um, but it's static, like it's it's this it's this framework we impose on every single thing we have, um, mm. so everything fits into a bucket basically at some point or another. So you get *Soldier of Fortune*, <clears throat> and you're gonna look at it and you say, well. It's not it's not an X-rated game. I don't know if there are X-rated games. I guess they sort of pushed that line with something like Night Trap back in the day. Um but it's probably it's probably not an NC seventeen game. It's probably something like a mature game that like we're gonna have people buy it with a parent or whatever. Um yeah. but in Australia it seems like it's being built as it goes along. Like everything is sort of like constantly under review and constantly under revision where the, you know, the board gets it and gets to say, like, yeah, these graphics are actually too uh, too realistic now. We can't let it go this time. Or hmm. wow, like, the the system's kind of changed since the last time we did it. Let's add this other part to it. It feels much more um, it, it sounds like I'm sort of saying it, it, it sounds like a jalopy or something where you're adding parts but it's almost like it's more bespoke where, like, every time something new happens, there's a new alteration to it where it's meant to be the same system, but it clearly is being built as it goes along.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that is essentially how um, you know the Australian video game classification system was worked out. Which is um, you know in that same article I was reading from before, there was a little mention of it where they say um, you know we've we've got this system and you're supposed to be able to figure out what goes where. Except for the most part, you can't really refer to anything and see specifically. Uh, which things are and aren't going to make it until you run afoul of it, mm. and then they say, Ah oh, "Okay, so now you know. Now you know about this thing." Um, one of my favorite, oh, one of my favorites on the list, actually, in terms of. Um...
0: I really hope it's what I, what you're going to say. I, I think I
1: <laughs> have you um Have you ever heard the expression "wowzer"? Yeah. As in like um yeah, pure pure wowzerism. Um, which in Australia is you know being being very uptight and uh, so for, for my for my money the number one pure wowzerism uh, banning was a game that originally came out with an MA 15 rating and it was uh, Mark Echo's Getting Up Contents Under Pressure. No one needs a,
0: no one needs a, a summary of this game. We all played. This was like everyone's childhood. Everyone was playing the Mark Echo Getting Up game. Like this was just super. Po- no, I'm just I'm kidding. No one. Really <laughs>
1: Well, I'm gonna go ahead and assume uh, that it was that it was a game where you went around tagging things and doing doing graffiti. Yeah, um, probably
0: some tricks on bikes and stuff. Mark Echo is yeah. known for that. Yeah.
1: So, um, so that was originally released with an MA 15 plus rating. Uh, the federal attorney general at the time, Philip Ruddock, who, for the record, is a huge piece of shit um, <laughs> for for a wide variety of reasons, not just um, not just video game related, but also um, architecting a whole horrible series of human rights violations of refugees. Um, so that's that's a, a much bigger thing to hate him for than the Mark Echo stuff. But um, he, he personally intervened and appealed the rating and then had it banned for, quote, high impact themes involving the glorification of graffiti. Ooh. Which, imagine. That's imagine. some strong
0: words right there not the glorification of the the dreaded graffiti
1: well what i like is that like um there's a lot of other games on here where they were either like too violent or they had a scene um you know that that triggered something with the senses. um and a lot of games companies were finding themselves having to go back and redevelop those parts of their games um so I think I think that was really what started to be a big part of the impetus for for the different state governments to get on board and introduce an R rating mm-hmm. was that effectively you know companies overseas that were trying to do business here and sell products were submitting stuff, having it refused classification over something pretty arbitrary and you know often over over a single scene in a game, and they'd have to go back and redevelop that whole chunk of it and submit it again. And they'd have to manufacture, you know, a totally separate line of the games for distribution in Australia. And I imagine it was just starting to turn into a big pain in the ass for them.
0: Yeah, not, not profitable. And from what I understand from Australia, it seems like it's a very, um, in a lot of ways, especially for... Because obviously, like, outside of America and China, every or I guess that's probably not true. But as an American, it seems like we sort of have the market cornered on being nakedly capitalistic. Um, hmm. But, but it seems on some level that uh this might you can tell me if i'm wrong it seems like australia sort of has like a fairly um positive af- affiliation with capitalism as well like it's a fairly sort of free enterprise society at least in some sectors
1: yeah well we actually have um we have a bunch of stuff that you guys don't get have you ever heard of the australia tax no uh, so that's a reference to um, items like video games and uh, software, things like, you know, licenses of Windows, all that sort of stuff, where traditionally, before the sort of, um, before the much more common advent of digital distribution, um, those things just seem to cost like 40% more in Australia than they did in other places, <laughs> because we, we are kind of at the end of the physical supply chain right. um, for a lot of areas. But then, then you know, digital distribution came in, and you could just buy Photoshop online and download it. You could buy a new license of an operating system and download it. You could, you know, buy a buy a video game on Xbox Live and download it or whatever. But they still cost like a third as much. they Sorry, still have a, the a the Australian tax on there? Yeah, so we've we've actually had incidents here where um, where, you know, uh. Representatives from companies like Microsoft and Adobe and stuff have been dragged before, like Senate hearings, and asked why are you still charging way more money uh, for Australian customers than you are in other parts of the world when there is now absolutely no physical restraint to what you are doing. In fact, well, you know, you can buy the you can buy the digital copy of something um, for more than it costs in another country. Um, or you can buy a physical copy of it, which they will then charge you even more for because you're buying, you know, a disc. Yeah. Huh. Um, so, so you know, the, that sort of stuff was kind of put off getting dealt with for ages until it became a bit of a pet project for a couple of senators. Um, see, weirdly enough, so Mark, Mark Echo's Get Up banned. Uh, yeah. Man, Rockstar's Manhunt came out. Um, and that got released. Uh, really? Later on, it got reclassified as well. It, it got reclassified as refused classification after that point. I assume when someone actually played it and went, "Holy shit!" Um, yeah, that one had a hard time coming out in America. Oh man, Big um, Manhunt too got got tanked. Yeah, well, um, both of the both of the postal games got banned here. <laughs> nice. Um, well- I Saints just got Road done talking Fall. about
0: postal with a guest. It's not out yet, but we uh, a guest was writing a, a book. Uh, uh, Brock Brock uh, Brock Wilber was writing a book on postal and sort of its development. I got to revisit the, I got to revisit postal, which I have to tell you, you didn't miss out on if you didn't get to play it illicitly. <laughs> it's not very good.
1: That was uh, that was generally the impression I got. Much like the um, much like Uwe Boll's cinematic adaptation. Ah
0: uh, yes, of course.
1: Mm. We Classic also have satire. a um, yes. We also have another sort of interesting... Um, you know how I was talking about games uh, having to sort of change change aspects or scenes to get re-released. So things would happen like if you would get a gory game where a lot of people were getting killed. Um, a game developer would go back and like... Um, like, color swap the blood to be green. And then they'd be like, they're, <laughs> ali- <laughs> they're aliens now. And then it would get released. Can't um, agree. Be, be. No, that no, that little? Yeah, well... But here's the one that gets me the most is, um, so Fallout 3 was banned when it was released in Australia, um, because, uh, you could use morphine in the game. So any reference to like an actual drug or actual drug product, um, would, would meet with an immediate ban, basically.
0: Oh, and Um, all the, of course, Fallout has a bunch of stims and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they well, the note here is it was edited worldwide due to the small change needed. The name of morphine was changed to MedX. Oh, interesting. Yep. So anything in a game where like you can get a syringe and stick it in yourself and go, ah, some of my health is back. That's uh, apparently that's a depiction of you know getting a benefit from using a drug. Banned due to drug use related to incentives and rewards.
0: That's so it's so arbitrary because of course like. That's also what penicillin is. Yeah. Like it's there, there are lots of drugs you injected to yourself that give you a physical benefit that we're totally yes. okay with.
1: That's kind of the point. Yeah. Well, there there you go. Another one. Um, Left for Dead Two was okay. banned here. Um, wow. And here's the distinction. All right. Here's the interesting thing about this. You can play a game with zombies because those are you know um, animated dead people. Monsters shooting, or whatever, yeah. Monsters, right. you know. Uh, Left for Dead um, had the sort of same uh, plot as... The same plot idea as, like, um, 28 Days Later. Right. Where there were living humans infected with a virus that was making them behave this way. So, in Left for Dead 2, that was originally refused classification because you were massacring tons of living humans as opposed to zombies. Which, again, seems like it's such an arbitrary distinction. Like, it's it's the kind of thing that I would have thought only, like, like, film nerds arguing about whether or not, like, 28 Days Later counts as a zombie movie because they're technically alive, like, that kind of shit. That yeah, I was actually... Act, like... Yeah,
0: because it's, like, I was thinking, well, is it, like... I was trying to come up with other instances of that. I was thinking, like, is, Do- is Dawn of the Dead like that? Is it a virus in that one? Or is it... Are they actually dead? Because... Night of the living dead they come back to life but then like which films are is it a virus and which films are they dead and it's just such like you're right it's totally arbitrary the idea of like the 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 seminal idea is that a virus or something is spreading and mm. that's all you need
1: to worry about that's it you know um, it yep. seems like such incredible splitting of hairs um, yeah absolutely so what uh, so there's a bunch of entries uh, related to um, you know one of my favorite game series everybody everybody loves some grand Theft Auto Oh, yeah. Um, Now, each of the entries in the series here um, seems to have uh, an instance where they have been released either in their original state and then have had to be edited in some form and re-released, or where they've been released in an edited state and um, and then a new sort of... Well, again, one of our arbitrary changes to the rating system has happened, and they've been able to put the original version out. Sure. Um, for example, San Andreas had its classification revoked following the hot coffee controversy.
0: Ah, uh, yes, that actually that hit safe, that hit us too. That was actually a really big deal in America as well.
1: <coughs>
0: People Which, were not happy with the sex minigame.
1: Well. But it wasn't in the game. That was that was what was so frustrating about it. Yeah, that, that you know, ended up somebody... that ended
0: up being the that ended up being the salient thing here. And actually, no, it never got revoked. There was some talk of like revocation, or, or it, that never happens here. But really, in the end, it was like I think the legal piece, and I'm I'm just remembering it. It's quite a while ago, uh, so if I'm remembering it wrong, apologies. But like, yeah, that was the legal piece here. It wasn't in the game. It was a, a fan hmm. mod or a mod that happened after the fact, and so like it, you know well, couldn't possibly hold it responsible.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, the way I remember it is uh, that it it was in the code. It was in the you know final code of the game, but they had obviously at some point said that's not going to fly, and then basically <laughs> they they'd removed the scene from the narrative, so there wasn't right. actually any way to to get to it or do anything. But the code was there, and what had happened is someone had done a mod that just. Gave you know gave you the ability to, to run the code and play that okay. scene, which was you know in in Rockstar's defense never actually included in the game. It's just that the code was present in the release, um, which you know like uh, personally I would argue that it's not in the game. It's just kind of on the disc. But, yeah, um,
0: well you're, then you're sort of getting into you're getting into the the dicey thing of intention where it's like it, it is again going back to that puritanical. Uh, thing we were talking about although obviously in america it's puritanical in australia i i don't quite know what i'd call it maybe you can what what would it be is it would you call it is it religious is it cultural is it because australia as like a colony i i don't know like what the history is there in terms of cultural i know the general history
1: yeah i think you know i, I can't really put my finger on it in a way that is so explicitly tied to like um to you know religion and and the the very specific origins of America but um you know one thing i definitely think is that australia australia does not have the relationship with sex that it thinks it does <laughs> you know i think okay. um yeah i think i think that people here tend to think that we're a very sort of you know open progressive society about all that kind of stuff but the parade of constant shit that we have in the media about all kinds of worrying about people's sexuality and all that kind of stuff it just makes you think, no, we're we're not there at all. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and again, you know, I think you could you could probably draw some parallels between Australia and America in terms of um, you know how how the countries were settled and and by which religions and that sort of mm. stuff. Sure. But um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting one.
0: I mean, the hmm. reason I ask is because in, – in sort of, and that's elucidating because in a sort of Puritan sense or Puritanical sense, you can – I don't know if you've heard about this. I don't uh, know your, your engagement with sort of the more, uh, uh, let's say, textually rigorous – uh, versions of Christianity, uh, well, yeah,
1: the the guys on the Mayflower got thrown out of England for being too uptight about it, that's right,
0: that's right, exactly, so, you know, this strain exists to this day, and, and there's moments where, like, it comes out where you hear people talking about, um, the Ten Commandments, and so, like, one of the Ten Commandments is, classically, uh, don't, don't kill anyone, right, and thou shalt not, um, I think it's, I think it's kill, I'm revealing my own ignorance, Um, but, there's also this caveat that people will say where it's like, it's not just about not killing, it's about if you have the idea that you would want to inflict harm toward death on someone in your mind, you have that thought, the thought toward murder in your head, not even like planning it or wanting to do it, but like, I could kill that guy Um, then that's the exact same sin, it's the same mortal sin
1: Um, I can't even think about killing people now
0: yep, not adultery, (laughs) not killing people, nothing you, you can't have any fun, um, <laughs> but it's like it—it's it, this—it's this version of intention that is so abstracted, where like the code actually counts in that version of things because the code is—the code has been thought about, and the code is like physical in some way or another. Mm. So it, it shipped because,
1: because it was created in the first place. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it, it shipped like with the game insofar as like the game included it as one echo of one intention a long time ago
1: um whereas from my from my point of view you would look at it and say they have already censored themselves right you know they they clearly looked at it and said all right that one's going to be a bridge too far yeah and
0: and that's the version of that's the version of like thou should not kill that kind of makes more sense where it's like yeah of course you don't go ahead and kill someone like you might have the thought to like you want to you know sock someone or like you know you you get angry or whatever but you just like you scale it back and say like okay I'm a normal person I'm not going to go ahead and murder someone like that's just not what I'm going to do. Um, so yeah, it's like the same idea. It's, it's interesting that that is sublimated in uh, Australian thought in terms of like, yeah, you know, we just want to make sure nothing bad happens. We want to make sure nothing bad is in these things. It is the smart sort of like overly cautious version of uptightness as opposed to overly, um, rigorous version that we have in America.
1: Mm. Well, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of parallels as well with um, just that whole kind of. Well, if you, if you put things in a game and someone acts them out, that's teaching them to do that thing.
0: Oh yeah, Teach- that's the modern the modern <laughs> anxiety, right?
1: Mm. In exactly the same way that um, you know, teaching people what a condom is and how to use it is just teaching them to be in- incredibly promiscuous fuck machines
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but better they be incredibly promiscuous fuck machines that don't use protection um, yes exactly exactly <laughs> always um, well actually I'm interested in, in, in spinning that in you spinning that out a bit because you also say and I, I love I love your I'm going to read it because I love it uh, the the <laughs> tagline or the header for this next section is open world games is both a favorite genre and the choice of busy dads everywhere, which is <laughs> absolutely true. The the advent of um, codified missions that you can just kind of like do a little bit of and feel satisfied, and then put mm. it down for a while. I just it's such a it's such a I don't know. I I, I don't know what other term besides the quasi religious blessing to use here, but it's such a blessing. Um,
1: oh yeah. So well, yeah, I am. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, for for me, for me these days, you know, I used to I used to be able to wallow in my own filth and play games for many many hours on end. But um, but yeah, these days with a couple of little kids, um, it's really it's really not that often that I find myself with an hour or two to, you know, sit and plug away at something. Right. So you know, gen- generally speaking, I will have like one open world game on the go, and uh, you know, if I have some time in an evening, I can jump on it for a couple of hours. Um. And I, I think I, I feel very similar to, similarly to the way um, uh, Matt was talking about it. Matt Brady was talking about it when he was on the show. Just, just that kind of tick and boxes, sort mm-hmm. of feel. Yeah. You know, um, particular particular types of missions and that sort of stuff. I would say a lot of the time these days, I find myself, um, you know, doing a lot more side missions than I do the actual plot of games. Um, yeah. i still have i still haven't I finished you. gta
0: 5 uh <laughs> i'm having so... that happen to me in prey right now i'm trying to i'm, I'm working through prey for a, for another podcast that i'm doing uh of another episode of this podcast uh and i get the feeling that i could work through the main plot in about eight hours and i know that as like a quasi reviewer that's what i should be doing but i keep doing the side pro- side missions i'm like oh cool like someone in the uh the manufacturing block needs to talk to me. I guess I'll go do that. Like, oh, there's a, a wrench I need to find. I better do that first.
1: It is it, extremely no. satisfying. And, um... So, yeah, I've, I've been playing um, Far Cry 4... Okay. ...at the moment for a little while. Because, um... Also, as someone who is not particularly... You know, I'm certainly not engaged with games in the way that I used to be... ...in terms of kind of following the development of upcoming stuff... ...and that kind of thing. Um, which, just as an aside... Much like uh, going into a movie with no preconceptions will often lead to actually enjoying a movie a lot more, um, I I think that video game coverage in the way it has evolved just seems to lead to constant disappointment for people. Oh so, yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Like I, I'm I'm so much happier not following that stuff anymore and. Um, you know, I will pick up games like a year after they came out when they're sitting in the bargain basement at the Australian equivalent of, um, of like GameStop, which over here is uh, either EB or or JB Hi-Fi or something. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, and you get get something out of the bargain bin there where it's it's dropped down to like twenty or thirty bucks instead of they're like they're like a hundred and twenty dollars here when they come out. Oh. Here. Yeah. No! Um, yeah, man. If you want to get, like, a brand new PS4 or Xbox One game, um, the day they come out, they will generally be around or a little above $100. How much does the system cost? Uh, well, we're a bit further into the life cycle of those machines now, so... Sure, yeah, but like... are so a bit the... further, but... I... I'm... I'm sure someone will let you know if I'm wrong. Yeah, I know. But, but my my memory of stuff like um like the the Xbox 1 and stuff like that when they come out, things like they got are normally around 5 or 600 bucks.
0: Okay, yeah, they're around 400
1: um, here, so that would make sense. That's
0: about the same.
1: Yeah, although markup. um although I remember reading something that said essentially um manufacturers just lose money on every console and they just make it back in the games through the life cycle. Oh, interesting um which when you think about you know when you think about comparing the cost of if you wanted to build like a gaming rig that was comparable to you know a new PS4 or a new Xbox 1 or something when they came out you'd you'd definitely be spending as much or more than that oh yeah um, probably more yeah yeah so you know obviously they got all the parts there but so um so yeah I mean for me I pick things up way after they've come out and by that point you know the kind of dust has settled on things and there's a bit of a consensus over whether something was a good experience or not as well um, and you know I, I play things like that with no expectation and often find myself really enjoy so I've been playing Far Cry 4 quite a bit um, which uh, shockingly seems to be another entry in a series of uh, the type of games where you are a miraculous white guy who goes and saves a <laughs> a pretend version of a, of another country somewhere. Um, but It'll yeah, be exciting like was, to
0: see how they do it with the uh, with the white racists.
1: Yeah, I was I was pretty interested. I thought that's a pretty bold move from yeah, those guys. I absolutely. Say. Um, yeah. So you know, it's a it's a nice looking game, but yeah, I've just been jumping in there and cool. I get in there and do my little do my little missions, go around and knock stuff off, and every now and then I'm like, oh yeah, there's there's still a plot, isn't there? Um, you know, I've pretty much like maxed out the skill tree, um, and done tons of the side missions, and then I opened up the other half of the game. That <laughs> I got Probably into, like pretty a, easy to get through at this point. Yeah, I got to like the north part of the map and went, "Wait, there's like as much again. What?" <laughs> oh no. Um, I mean, yeah, that's... so Oh god. So yeah, I think. Um, but before that, I was very onto um, Dying Light, which I mm-hmm. was telling you about. Yeah, we um, talked about that a little bit. I was I was very very deep into that game, which I um, which I really liked. Uh, just like the the whole vibe, the whole kind of um, I think it did a very good job of um, kind of replicating that that like nineteen eighties Romero zombie movie kind of feel. It had a bit of the um, sort of Italian. Uh, zombie movie synth score kind of feel mm-hmm. going. Yeah. Um. And what I what I really appreciated in that game was the was the kind of uh, the difficulty curve from starting out. Uh, because as you mentioned with with something like Far Cry, once you get to the end of a game like that, um, you know, you're pretty much you're pretty much invincible. Yeah. By the time you're all you're all maxed out. Um. And. I imagine that can be a really difficult thing for um, for uh, people to achieve while they're producing a game because if you let people kind of level up too fast, then there's no challenge in it. But if it's too hard, it's off-putting, you know. So I imagine hitting that hitting that just right is probably very difficult.
0: Yeah. Oh, I imagine. Um,
1: yeah. So at the, at the very start of that game, you uh, you get dumped on this island um, that's been all quarantined off and has its little zombie apocalypse and you know you're, you're at the very bottom of your skill tree and you're starting off with stuff like a broomstick and a plank and um <laughs> and you know you can you can really like wail on a zombie for a while and not get too far with it and you get puffed out really quick right. and and then you just kind of turn around and realize that a whole bunch of other zombies have been slowly shambling up to you this whole time um <laughs> and you're actually you you need to run away um in that game, which which provides a totally different dynamic, and they also have this um, day and night system, uh, which which works really well in the early going of the game, where mm-hmm. um, the the sun goes down and all of the zombies get uh, faster and stronger, and then there's a whole different kind of very large uh, blade two looking looking things that come out, and um. <laughs> And yeah, I I really found in the early going of that game that um that that was that was one of the first things I'd played in a long time where like you know, you're out and about doing stuff and then you turn around and realize that the sun's going down over the hills and you go, "Oh shit. I have to be somewhere. <laughs> I got to get away um, from here." Right, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Like uh like in uh, I Am Legend, you know, the uh, the Will Smith remake <laughs> where all of <laughs> Where for some reason, he's been doing this every day for the last however many years, but he's still just sort of out somewhere, way away from his house when the sun's going down, and he goes, oh yeah, that's still how it works. You know how hard it is to get a routine together, it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's terrible. How do you, for- how do you forget, honestly? <laughs> um,
0: I, so- yeah, I, I'm interested, so like, these two games really line up nicely in terms of like your I'm super interested in this fluidity element. Cause obviously like the open world games have this sense of, um, and I, I, this has happened to me when I've tried to talk about open world games before, there's not, there's not a unifying mechanic. There's a unifying sort of philosophy about it, which is like the side missions, the, the main quest, the skill trees, all of these mm. things kind of show up, right. Where you have like this massive world that you can explore on some level or another, uh, in, 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 you don't have total free reign, but a lot of free reign. Um, the The way you kind of identify the difference of game control schemes, I think, is really interesting. Like in uh, Dying Light, and we've talked about this before, not on the face, not on the um, uh, podcast, but the um, you know the the parkour style, and that's really like something that you found interesting, and something that a lot of people found interesting. Like the the fluidity of movement, people describe it as parkour esque. Um, but then that, comparing that to something like Far Cry, where you say, in fact, like the non conventional control schemes, and I'm reading from you here, but I think it's a good way of saying it, um, they themselves might be improvements on established patterns. Like they actually make it better to drive within the game, but they create breaks from immersion and cause frustration because they're not typical. Mm. Um, so and that drove me understand... nuts.
1: It drove me nuts. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you no, get I know into how a... that goes.
1: Yeah. Well, the first time you get into a vehicle, um, you know, if you're. So I, I only play on consoles these days Mm -hmm. um number one because uh my brother-in-law just gave me a a spare xbox one he had and i didn't have to pay for it and that's that's awfully nice yeah um and yeah and from the other perspective uh obviously i have neither the the time nor the money to do like uh pc gaming kind of stuff where you got to keep doing upgrades and all that kind of jazz um right you know, for someone in my situation, a console is very good because you can just have it, and then it just works for the life cycle of the product. Um, you can buy any game, and you put it in, and it's fine. I've always liked um, that about consoles too, actually. Yeah. So if if you happen to be playing something on a console and you jump into a vehicle in a game like that, what is the first thing you do if you would want to start driving forward? Um, uh, it's either R one that'll happen sometimes, or so you, you would start pulling on a trigger, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the, right. That yeah, was
0: one of the trigger buttons.
1: Yeah, no, that will immediately um, cause you to pull out your your weapon and just start firing through the windshield <laughs> in this game. Um, <laughs> what they what they've sort of done with all the vehicles in that game is uh, you just point in the direction you want to go on the stick, and it goes. Um, oh, including backwards and stuff as well. So there's no there's no brake. There's no I think there's a handbrake button, but yeah, so it's just the stick, which, as I said, you know, if you if you examine that in isolation and kind of compare that for if you if you were someone who'd never really played a game like that before, right. maybe that would be a lot a lot easier as a way to to move than to sort of say, okay, well, you know, imagine this stick is the steering wheel and this stick <laughs> is your head looking around and this one's going to be the brake and this one on the other side's the accelerator. This button over here is the handbrake if you want to do this kind of turn. And if you want to like <laughs> throw a grenade, now it's this button. And you can picture in your mind those um, instruction manual. Oh I'm looking at it right you know, now, as you say. Of, it. Not of like not all literally. Of, uh, just, yeah. Yep, to my of mind's all of the, eye. All the arrows coming off the different buttons and everything. Mm-hmm. Which if you've been playing games for a really long time, a lot of that stuff is second nature to you and and you know, having having your brain assigning that mapping of buttons to controls is very sort of second nature mm-hmm. but um but yeah for me it just drove me nuts man i got it so many times i would just jump into a jeep and immediately shoot a grenade straight out of the windshield into someone <laughs> who's just been helping me out you know um, <laughs> gotta reload the game now <laughs> yeah so like that stuff that stuff is um was, was a little frustrating but at the same time i understand the impulse to to try and improve on patterns but you know, patterns and conventions are also there for a reason. I mean, uh-huh. it's it's an interesting subject to me because I I come across a lot of that in my in my work. I do um a lot of sort of u- user interface design and okay. um and like user testing and user research kind of stuff um for you know uh, websites and apps and that kind of thing and something that's really difficult to break yourself out of as somebody who builds those things and has built them for a long time are the pre-existing notions you have of how people understand things to work so you know it's very very kind of if you talk to any web developer they'll say oh yeah you know the home button goes at the top left of the page and the search box goes at the top right and the menu should be over on the left hand side and this stuff will be here and you know for a long time that that's just how we all worked and everything and now I work in a place where we we get people to run remote tests we do moderated testing with people you know you sit there in the room with them and you ask them to try and do a thing on a page mm. and you know we sit there and argue we've sat there for years arguing about like oh no this is this is exactly how a button should look and then then you see what people are actually doing with a computer when you ask them to just try and complete a task and the problems are a lot bigger than you think they are. <laughs> like the, the things yeah. people are stumbling over and not understanding are so much more fundamental. So yeah, uh, like, like I said, on one hand, I understand, uh, you know, wanting to stick to established conventions because we've all been playing these games for years and years and that's just kind of how it's done but at the same time like i said maybe you give that game to someone who's never played a first person shooter before and they just cannot get a grip on it but um
0: so yeah, what... I mean, do you think do you think that that's like that's a reason that um hardcore gamers get like angry at changes in um user design that kind of like aim towards simplicity like i can imagine a bunch of like Serious driving gamers or whatever getting pretty irritated with the Far Cry mechanic, right? Saying it's dumbing it down or something like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. In your user interface model, this is like this is a version where, yeah, you know, it's not a matter of dumbing it down. It's a matter of like actually looking at the problem of mm. the control and, and acknowledging it in a, in a proper way.
1: Well, yeah, it's an it's an attempt to to simplify or streamline a system that's that's just present. And um, yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because I've sort of spent a lot of time thinking about that before coming Mm. on here um particularly that kind of notion of um whether or not that kind of makes makes hardcore gamers angry and that's a big thing that i remember about specifically about assassin's creed when that came out Mm -hmm. because that is game that's a game that i really enjoyed um you know i like the vibe Uh, i'm a open world fan and everything actually the one thing that frustrated me about assassin's creed was the kind of that overarching sci-fi story that they need to put on all of them (laughs) no one likes that oh man i'm like no you we've like we've seen the ad we all had the box and you said you're going to be an assassin in ancient (laughs) jerusalem and like you sold us on that that's fine we're on board you don't need to you know you don't need to have this whole thing on top so that we can all go oh it's okay i'm still a modern guy (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i just i never understood that impulse but um i suppose as the as the games go on, I I understand it as a narrative device for attempting to sort of to tie the different time periods and stuff together. But it really seems like something they could have just sorted out with some more streamlined writing. But you know, oh yeah, know? absolutely. Um, <laughs> just why? <what, laughs> um,
0: I don't understand why they didn't. It's such a such a clunky frame story. Like, why not mm. frame it like a like a series and say like you're the assassin, um, you're you know you're fighting against the templars there's an assassin group and a templars group and you're yep. on the side of the assassins and that would be so much better than like we're putting you in this system where you become the assassin because the templars have just, like okay wait this frame doesn't that's, make any sense
1: that's all i had to do was yeah. uh it's extremely and like, straightforward and well even the fact that the plot is that it's it's the same you know two sects of of organizations that have been battling against each other all through time and it's like yes there's your plot just yeah. do that. But um <laughs> they should have anyway, had you there. <laughs> yeah, coming back to the um to the actual aspect of it. No, um, garden paths are well well <laughs> <laughs> Well um so yeah, I, that was something I really noticed when that game came out was that um was that you know that I, th- I think the mechanic was just kind of that you held one of the shoulder buttons as you ran towards things and then you could just point in a direction and and your character would just climb and climb up things and right yeah and you know like I I loved it I couldn't remember playing a game that had that sort of thing and I I, I think I loved the sort of um the the vertical freedom as well mm-hmm. as the um as just the general stuff there was there was another aspect of it as well that really appealed to me which again infuriated a lot of hardcore gamers and that was that kind of um parry based combat, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think I don't know. See this is where I feel like I, I had that uh, the biggest divide with people over that stuff was I feel like a lot of hardcore gamers were like, oh you're just making this stuff really easy. You don't have to do anything difficult, you know. Um, whereas I I took that stuff as as like, man, you can just you can just run at this sort of unbroken pace across rooftops and jump over things, grab on the ledges and get into fights with like 10 dudes where you don't get hit if you kind of time everything right and <laughs> do all this sort of stuff. And, and I loved it because you could create this really kind of cinematic sense, you know, mm, in a way yeah. that you couldn't do with other games In with games where, you know, if you come running up against like a, a wall that is shoulder height, you can't get over it. You just got to go all the way around. Like, Um, like even Far Cry Four, you know, there's a there's like a a, it's like a grappling hook in that that you can climb up specific points, um, dotted on on walls and stuff. But um, but yeah, there's no verticality otherwise in that game. I mean, uh, like you know, you can you can fly stuff and you can there's a wingsuit and all kind of shit, but. (laughs) <laughs> it needs to kind of be used in very specific ways, and from from specific points, and you need to be somewhere before you can do a, a, a thing. But um, but yeah, in those other games, it's just kind of like you know, in, in Dying Light and Assassin's Creed, it's just any surface that you run up to and touch, you can climb up on. And um, yeah, so for me, I I really I really love that cinematic sense and that sort of fluidity of control, and even being able to kind of I don't know, for me, I think yeah, people seem to think it was this big appeal to, to casual gamers and saying, Oh, let's let's make it not hard to do anything. There was still there was still an aspect of, you know, you had to have a decent set of timing and all that sort of stuff to do mm-hmm. some of those things. But um yeah, like I said, it just you know, at, at their essence aren't a lot of games wish fulfilment and and power fantasy or you know embodying a character that isn't you and yeah i would agree with that
0: and i think like you know there's a there's a sense that the you know i know there's a sense that like it always strikes me as anger right like and of course it's anger but anger that like the there's a group of of gamers that get to have the experience that you had without the without the investment that you had to put into it
1: yeah you didn't have to pay you to use right yeah. yeah so
0: now now you can be really good at video games and like it doesn't mean the same thing as me being really good at video games right like that's sort of like mm. the the frustration and like it strikes me that that's a that's a profoundly and you use the term cinematic and i think that's that's probably right like it's a profoundly non artistic aesthetic cinematic however you want to think about it way of understanding video games like Hmm. the experience should count for just as much as the challenge in a lot of ways insofar as, yeah, Assassin's Creed isn't the hardest game in the world. It's, like, pretty easy to play. Um, At the same point, you're playing as, like, a super high-end assassin who's
1: incredible and can leap over buildings, and that's really cool. Like, that's fun. Exactly. Should they be stumbling around up against walls and like <laughs> right, yeah, you know, trying trying to jump over a gap and falling down and going back around again and trying it again? <laughs> yeah, like that. That's that's a much more that's a
0: much more fulfilling representation of what it must be to be an assassin, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It 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 again. Like this is a question you posed, and I think it's it's the right question to be asking. Where it's like, is the control scheme a means to an end? Is that the point of the game, or is it the means? Or is it the means to the end of like actually giving the player a, a world to inhabit, like an unconscious, you say, world to inhabit? And I think like that that question of whether or not the control system should be present should be like ev- like should be should be on the scene in that obvious way. Is it like is it meant to be there and like take center stage, or is it meant to sort of recede into the background? Um, hmm. I think I tend to agree with you that it should probably recede into the background. It should be as like natural as possible.
1: Well, and obviously it depends on on the game and what the kind of you know what the creators wanted you to get out of it. And
0: mm-hmm. we could look
1: at we could look at games like say um, you know, Dark Souls and that sort of stuff, which I haven't played, but you know I have an understanding of. And I I sort of get that people look at that as as maybe like a modern spiritual successor to like the really hard Mega Man games, that kind of stuff. Something like that, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, and and. I feel like what, what a lot of people enjoy or claim to enjoy about some of those games <laughs> is, um, is, you know, just, just trying to get this thing right over and over again and, and, you know, maybe your hands just can't get there fast enough the first 30 times and then you finally do and you get a great sense of accomplishment out of it. Yeah. But I also completely understand that experience not being interesting to a lot of people. Right, absolutely, and yeah. So for me, when I think about like, um, particularly sort of AAA uh, games, game production kind of stuff, I look at that stuff and I think, yeah, it's like I was saying, you you you're looking to embody an avatar, you're looking to, you know, inhabit a world, particularly when you're talking about open world stuff, where it is it is, I think, um, you know, the the most genuine expression of world building um in in art forms now mm-hmm. um yeah. every time every time there's a new like grand theft auto game uh i get it and i find myself just doing stuff like just walking around in the streets and you look at you know trash blowing past and you listen to one side of people's phone calls and <laughs> you know look at people interacting without you having anything to do with them and all that kind of stuff all the little things that happen like um you know like the police having shootouts with people, and it has no relation to you, um, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. And right. they 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 really do create a world, you know. Um, and so it's like I was saying, if you if you are going to be like an Assassin's Creed, you're going to be a, a super powered, incredibly stealthy and and you know capable assassin. If you're in dying light and you you're someone who's surrounded by shambling zombies and you're trying to get away from them what would you actually be doing in these scenarios you know would mm. you be fumbling around with your controls and trying to remember what the scheme was or whatever or would you be thinking to yourself oh, i need to clamber up that wall and then just doing that <laughs> and to me it's infinitely more appealing to have uh, you know the control scheme just become more unconscious to so become more of an extension of you know, much more kind of oh, well, i I just I think I'll go over there. I think I'll do this thing as opposed to. I wonder if I can do this. Mm. I wonder if you know, um, so yeah, like i I even sort of thought back through the history of of you know the games that I would think of as kind of the markers for things that I've enjoyed the most through yeah. my life. And you know, from my sort of i guess early mid teens onwards. I remember playing, like, uh, Super Mario World um, on the Super Nintendo, which which I will still say I think is the best platformer ever made. Oh, um, yeah. It's a great game. And when you really get into that game, um, there's a lot of little subtleties about the control system, um which, you know, again, they start to add up into this really sort of fluid movement. The way that Mario kind of gathers momentum as he runs along, and if you press down, you kind of slide along, and that can be used as a form of hitting an enemy. If you've got mm-hmm. the cape on, you can do the spin, you can fly, you can dive, a lot of that sort of stuff. And, um, you yeah, know, obviously, you see people doing those speed runs of that sort of stuff that are oh, really unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, but even from looking at that obviously it's a control system that people can wind up making incredibly fluid movement out of um and you know then when i was in i guess it'd still be called high school there when i was uh <laughs> eight, right. eight, seven, 17 or 18 um the place that i was going to school had uh there were some some stores across the street there was like a little a little local mall thing and mm-hmm. um and some of the stores had some arcade cabinets out the front and i spent a lot more time there than i did in my classes um <laughs> so you know there were there were a couple that got swapped in and out and there was um uh they had a, a puzzle bubble uh cabinet it was good oh actually they had a they had a neo geo cabinet which had puzzle bubble and nice. and king of fighters 98 the dream match um, which I used to play with some buddies of mine, and the other store had, um, had Street Fighter Zero 3, um, which got swapped occasionally with uh, uh, Street Fighter so sorry, Marvel versus Capcom 2. Um, so I've, I've always liked the, the Street Fighter games, and I think, <coughs> I suppose, uh, but King of Fighters I really got into, and that was one of those games where you could really like kind of chain combos together. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, and the the inputs for for special moves and combos and stuff a bit different to Street Fighter. You know, a little more. There was a bit more variety in them, a bit more complex, and you could chain combos together in a way that um, I'm sure that people could with games like Street Fighter Zero Three, like like pro Street Fighter players and stuff. But for for your average player, you know, they were just kind of doing very short combos and. And supers and stuff whereas right. uh, yeah with um, with King of Fighters you could really kind of string things along and even the movements themselves of the of like the joystick were very very fluid rolling motions together you know as you were doing these things um, and yeah e- even other games like and then later on games like Assassin's Creed and um, I don't know if you remember the Matrix game uh, Enter the Matrix did you ever play that? <laughs>
0: I never did but I remember it coming out and like being surprised that a Matrix game was good
1: yeah like, yeah um I don't remember that much in the way of specifics about it but I do remember it doing a very good job of recreating that sense of kind of being able to sim- similar to what I was talking about with the Assassin's Creed stuff where being able to sort of parry and and do these big combos on multiple opponents and stuff that all mm. felt very, very fluid and seamlessly joined together and everything and um And, yeah, I kind of realized that the commonality through all those games that that I sort of spent the most time with was was being able to sort of just get this unconscious grasp of a control system and really create kind of fluid fluid movement and fluid sort of unconscious expression. Interesting. In a sense?
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it ties back to that, that initial... I mean, in a very interesting way, I think it ties back to the initial discussion on censorship too, or or, or um, regulation of games, because I think you know this expression of unconsciousness of like being unconscious or, or existing sort of within the game world in a in a sort of um, ludic or or um, I don't quite know how to say it without sounding pretentious. Um, uh, like out of body almost experience of playing video games the way that you can separate yourself from your your daily materiality or your daily sort Mm. of like it's an escape in in, in its own way um and a lot of that has to do with embodying a space as opposed to i think like people uh you know people who are concerned about video games both in america and australia might say like it's about training to do something it's about trying to become something like if you're playing Mm. a game where you kill people it's about wanting to kill people Yeah, and that must that. be
1: because you want to kill people, yeah.
0: Right, as opposed to, like, you want to put yourself in an experience and sort of experience, like experience this kind of, like, unconscious flow, um, which is much more akin to, you know, classic... Uh, I, I hesitate to say this because of Eric Garland, but classic game theory <laughs> uh, in, 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 terms, in terms of, like, actual games as opposed to whatever he's doing.
1: Um, but, well, yeah, let's... I mean... Go ahead. Oh, it's, um... I was just, a thought that struck me before actually about this kind of thing was, I wonder how much as well um, things like, I don't know, I guess the Call of Duty games and a lot of that sort of stuff appeal to um, people around my age of, um, you know, around your 30s, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people my age grew up on the kind of cinematic diet of, of like very traditional action movies.
0: Oh yeah, uh, sure. Like
1: yeah, Arnold like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator just mow, sorry, I'm um, in uh Commando where he's just mowing down tons of dudes and yeah, almost cartoonishly violent and stuff. But um but yeah, for a long time in <laughs> in the sort of American pop culture that everybody was being blasted with, like um a, a big a big invincible dude just mowing down waves of enemies was was the, you know, that was the power fantasy.
0: Well, and the way yep. that got sublimated into something, like, real or okay was through stuff like Saving Private Ryan, which is, like, just kind of the cinematic and, and serious version of that where, you know, it's just, it's the same kind of hero. It's the same kind of, like, there's a vulnerability, but a, but a, an overwhelming heroism uh, in World War II or in actual wars or
1: something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no,
0: I think you're totally right. I mean, it's like that's all we had in terms of, like, masculinist movies.
1: Well, and you also start to see the overlap there between things like Saving Private Ryan, which was very heralded for its um, special effects and its sound design, particularly. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, definitely. You know, people people talked about how um, immersive it was that you could hear these bullets whistling past you and ricocheting off things, and um, and that's part of what the experience of a lot of those other games is supposed to be about, like, uh, like your Call of Duty and... Um, I feel like I'm completely forgetting the name of the other big franchise. Uh, like, um, um,
0: uh, yeah, I am too. All of a sudden, mm, um, um, Modern Warfare, uh, Battlefield. Uh, yeah, Battlefield
1: and that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Where, where, particularly the historical ones, you know, where you're mm-hmm. supposed to be kind of re- reliving storming Normandy and right, and um, and a lot of that sort of stuff. And you know, you you could kind of argue that at the end of the day those those two pieces of art if you want to call them both that uh, are striving to kind of create the same experience for the people mm-hmm. indulging them which yeah. is to which is to feel like you're there um, without having to be there <laughs> and and I you know I don't think yeah. that I don't think that watching save a private Ryan, saving private Ryan means that you want to shoot a German soldier in the face and I don't think that playing you know um, like Call of Duty means that you wish you were currently bayoneting someone or anything like yeah. that.
0: You don't it doesn't make you um, want to join the army. It's something. It's a. It's a totally different impulse. Oh God, no! Uh, <laughs> you're you're not looking to join the army or any street gangs after uh, after playing all, all these video
1: games. That's it. Um, <laughs> no, pretty much. Pretty much everything to do with the military makes me go. Thank God, I'm not in the military. Uh, my, my, my
0: sort of like formative military story was the, uh, the Marines, this this makes me sound special only if you (laughs) don't grow up, like only if you have not grown up in the recruitment culture of being a 17 to 18 year old male Mm. in America where constantly the armed forces call you and ask you to join their various armed forces. Um, and so the Marines called me and asked me to join the Marines and I said, I'm not really interested in joining the army. And they said, no, 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 no. This is the Marines. And I was like, yes, I, that means nothing to me. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, you're talking to the wrong guy. Like, I'm, I'm still not interested. Um, is- so I'm with you. Like, it's not, it's never been something that's even remotely palatable to me.
1: Which um, which I suppose is interesting because there are plenty of people, I'm sure, who would take that as, you know, thinking that, you know, there's as, as, Disrespecting the troops. Or... Oh yeah, I
0: don't, I don't mean I any. Mean, I, I don't mean any disrespect to people like you know like um, Army Strang on on Twitter. I don't know if you follow him or not, but he's. I, I do. I do. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. I mean, he's he's a troop. Um, I've been
1: I've been listening to his podcast, and it's um it's it's really interesting to hear yeah, him and it's other guys stuff. talk just just as just as regular people because um, mm-hmm. so much of the time with things that relate to the military you know the, whoever's talking about it has an angle that they're pushing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's really interesting to listen to those guys just talking about you know just being people a lot of people are in the military are doing it for a job and for a career and um for a lot of different reasons you know yeah but
0: uh whereas well, uh, you know
1: i'm sure i would have a very very different opinion about the uh, military if say my country were being invaded Sure, of course, and I, would I mean, probably like, have a much more proactive attitude about joining the military. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you, you might,
0: yeah, that that would probably be true. Um, yeah, and it's you know it goes back to this question of, um, and we probably should start wrapping up because I think we're at an hour and a half. But the uh, um, time flies when you're having fun. But the uh, <laughs> you know it's it's it goes back to this question about, um, and I think it's this question that that we've kind of been dancing around, and I didn't even expect to to. Um, address it but this question of like do you want simulation or do you want like a substitute for the real thing and it seems like on some level what we want is a simulation that just lets us be there like playing call of duty it's not that it's about like oh i'm glad i can just play this instead of being in the army which i'd hate it's like it's not even about being in the army it's it's like it's totally different it's a simulation which keys into a different part of our mindset Mm, Um, it's
1: just an experience yeah right in the same way that you know driving, like playing a European truck simulator, right, d- doesn't mean that I desperately wish I could quit my job and drive a truck forever. Like, Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. So just they're just different things. Like that's that's one of the things that I always sort of loved about. And I, and I know that people kind of um, overstated this a little, but that's one of the things that I loved about uh, the GTA games is that you mm-hmm. could you give them to different people and different people will do wildly different things with it. You know, yeah. some some people just kind of cruise around on a moped and see what's up, and some people, you know, immediately start doing very heinous things. People start trying to get to like the, the highest star rating, or right. you know, um, or, all that kind of stuff. But you know, I've spent countless hours in um, I've spent countless hours in that game just doing things that are not at all related to anything that the game has set up for you to actually do in terms of like storyline and all that sort of stuff or even side missions but there's plenty of times where I've just sat in GTA and just driven around in traffic Yeah. like I've just I've just sort of gone okay I just want to like stay in traffic as though I were a law-abiding citizen not run into anybody stay in my lane (laughs) kind of stuff obey obey stoplights (laughs) that's right and just drive around listen to the radio I I I remember um, playing I want to say GTA 4 um, one time and it is a it is a thing that I have never seen repeated and was never able to reproduce again um, Where I pulled up at an intersection <laughs> and a car just one car in the middle of the night drove across the intersection and went Honk honk except it wasn't a car horn. It was the person yelling honk honk from the car <laughs> what? And I have just never seen it again Wow yeah, and, and it just makes me wonder, like, the yeah, the sheer volume of of dialogue and all that sort of stuff in completely arbitrary NPCs and stuff that they pack into that game it really makes you wonder what kind of stuff is in there that very few people have ever seen or anyone has even believed that they saw when they did. Right, yeah, exactly. It's, Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's like uh,
0: it becomes your own experience at that point where it's so deeply
1: individualized that mm.
0: yeah no that's right
1: that uh, it becomes
0: I mean, I'm trying to think of a good way to, to say this maybe you have it right now
1: oh no so well yeah it just becomes It. I don't know I mean obviously the GTA games are probably I mean unless you can think of another example to me they're kind of the the biggest budget purest expression of kind of open world stuff in the sense that, that I, I feel that they've put the most time and effort into fleshing out as many aspects of a world as they can um e- yeah. even in their other games like red dead redemption and stuff like that which was a fantastic game as well um oh see look we could loop right back around there and say with red dead redemption you remember how they had the uh, the the dead eye uh slow motion um shooting you know yeah you i just do slow slow down time for a second and like tag half a dozen dudes and then just peg them all and i'm sure that there were people who went oh you don't even have to like try <laughs> don't hard. even have to try yeah, yeah that's you right. don't you don't even have to like put in hours and hours and hours and hours at honing your <laughs> reflexes to this thing to be able to do this but but again i would look at that and say no what you what you're doing is replicating for someone the experience of you know being a crack shot gunfighter which yeah, like I... even a mythical level crackshot gunfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. W- which, which I hate to break it to you, I am not actually in real life, <laughs> and, and nor are nor are you, random person who is complaining about this mechanic. That's like, right, and in, in, yeah. I don't know. I just think it's. I think it's the. I think it's like the game embodiment of, you know, those like ridiculous scenes in movies, like in a, in a John Woo movie, you know, when someone comes walking out of a doorway in slow motion and a couple of doves doves fly out behind them and stuff. And like, it's, it's just, it's just a, hey, doesn't that make that dude look cool? That kind of thing. And I feel like those, those aspects of, of those games are, that's what they're about. It's about making you go, man, I feel like, you know, like I can do that stuff. I feel like this guy can just blast off six dudes at the drop of the hat like like you're saying like a mythical gunfighter right and um and it would not at all be the same if you just had to go oh there's there's five guys I'd better just run because <laughs> uh oh I've got to slowly sit and try and point pick stick. them off from like yeah exactly yeah, point this S- xbox stick at somebody's head and try and get them to stand still uh not yeah, quite it's... the same
0: yeah, it's uh, I guess like one way to, one, I guess the way I'd say it, and then I'll 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 give you a chance to get the final word. But like, I guess mm-hmm. the way I'd say it is, everything we're talking about makes me think that the, I wouldn't have expected to get here, but I'm glad we did. Like, open world in a way sets out to create this like massive space, right? That that, um, you couldn't possibly inhabit. Like, I think like a, a selling point of open world games is something like two people couldn't possibly have the same experience in this game. Like, you're going to have a very individualized experience, but, like, the very individualized experience ends up being this very limited version of the game, but limited by you, limited by your tendencies, limited by your preferences, like, your version of Mm. experimentation, however far you want to push it or however far you want to not push it. And there's there's something so... um, If you pitched it that way, it sounds so limiting. It doesn't sound like, oh, you have, you know, 800,000 possibilities or something, it's like you'll do one thing and really probably learn to enjoy it. Um, mm. But it also is, like, a very... It's a very true simulation of, of everyday life where, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I could do. There's just a few things I do do. Mm.
1: Um, yes, I could like, take my car and smash
0: it into someone else's car. But... Yeah, you could always do that, but I don't. Like, it's just not, not something I do. Um, and, like, you know, even if it's, like... Even if it was something more mundane like oh i could i could go play darts i don't usually i I don't play darts but i could go learn to play darts like of course i could um i won't but i could uh and like the fact that that kind of stuff exists in games like grand theft auto once you kind of let go of that idea of completionism or like total mastery Mm. um that becomes so much more uh, palpable so much more interesting
1: Mm, absolutely and it's it's interesting as well in the way that depending on how you want to, to play a game like that and as you were saying how far you want to take things it does it does completely change the experience but in both directions I mean like I said I feel like some people have sort of overstated it in the past where you know obviously you couldn't you couldn't progress through any Grand Theft Auto game to pretty much any extent unless you were willing to kill people in the game mm-hmm. um, you know if you were if you were trying to play it non-violent style you would spend a lot of time not doing any of those things and um, <laughs> and of course in those games they they sort of cordon off parts of the world until you've progressed to whatever level yeah sure of course um but but even right up at the other end of the scale you know if you're somebody who says ah well i'm just gonna i'm just gonna like chuck on the cheat codes and give myself all the weapons and pull out a fighter jet and i'm gonna you know park <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we've all done that sort of stuff where you go ah yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna steal 50 cars and cluster them all in an intersection and then chuck a <laughs> grenade in the middle and that kind of stuff but <laughs> but when you do take things like that so far to the point of for example even things things that you wouldn't even see in a movie kind of thing yeah um it does it does sort of become uh cartoonish you know it becomes um yeah, it, it, it just kind of gets a bit silly. Whereas, if if you kind of want to play those games, you know, if you want to play a GTA game pretty much exactly how they lay it out for you, uh, it's incredibly cinematic. Um, you know, a game like GTA 5, or even GTA 4, I remember, um, I remember playing one of those games and pretty much right off the bat, they have you, you know, in a, in a gunfight with AK-47s and, you know, cops hiding behind cars and stuff and you know, in, like individual bullet holes in cars and glass shattering and all that sort of yeah. stuff um, and, you know, I remember playing one of those games right at the start thinking, holy shit, this feels like, you know, the the heist scene in Heat um, <laughs> which I'm sure was, ve- like, there are a lot of very, very deliberate pop culture homages in, in those games. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I think if you play those games as they have kind of been laid out for you to play, even though as we have said, you can play those games any way you want. Um, you can express yourself in, in whichever way you feel. But if you kind of run through them the way they want you to, they they become really cinematic. Um, mm. And even if you kind of try to treat um, even if you kind of treat your character with a bit of a uh, bit of sort of, it's bad to get shot a bunch of times with an assault rifle, uh, like you would in real life. <laughs> but again, it, you know, it kind of feels like it heightens the stakes a little, and that's that's yeah. an interesting aspect too, because that's entirely down to your brain's own interpretation. Um, you huh. know, it, even even things like uh, even things like the choice between driving a car in Grand Theft Auto from the third-person camera angle or from inside the car. Yes, absolutely uh, makes a it just completely changes. Um, it's an
0: enormous the, difference.
1: Oh yeah, like the the sense of velocity, the sense of danger, like um, and momentum, as you're driving around is just so completely removed from how it is with the with the third person angle. Um, so yeah, I, I really feel like if you if you sort of choose to play it in a way which encourages that kind of cinematic depiction and and everything, then you just wind up having a, getting a completely different feeling and experience out of it than you would if you just said, "Yeah, it's, a, it's an open world game, we'll just go bananas. <laughs> right. Well, this has been fascinating. I, I really
0: appreciate you coming on. This has been really cool. Uh, working through all these issues, I, like, I looked at your outline, and just for anyone listening at home, um, I guess all of you, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, Andrew sent an outline of, uh, of how the show would go today, which is like above and beyond. But, uh, it like, I didn't, I didn't actually anticipate getting to half of these themes and, and we definitely keyed into more than I thought we would. So this has been really cool. Um, please come back anytime. Uh, would love to have you on again. Um, anything you want to add or anything you want to plug?
1: Oh well. Um, uh, number one, I would love to come back on and talk about how uh, perplexed I am by Japanese video games user interfaces and storytelling. Yeah, dealt. we didn't
0: get to that. I I, <laughs> I
1: I will ask you about that in the bonus questions. That'll be.
0: I I have three questions I'll ask you after we're off air for just the patrons. But uh, oh, excellent. But um, that'll um, be one of them. But yes,
1: we should talk about Japanese uh, user interfaces for like an hour. Oh, uh, definitely. Well, um. No, yes, I, I will. I will selfishly plug uh, my own podcast that um, that we've just started off, um, which is uh, Bunta Vista, B O O N T A V I S T A. If you're interested in, you know, a little bit of a review of Australian Australian politics and culture and kind of weird stuff, um, you know, it's starting to pick up a little. We ourselves have just done a little Patreon, and that's starting to take off, which is nice. Very cool. Yeah. But uh, good that for is you it.
0: Guys. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. A lot
0: of good people on that podcast. Uh, my favorite is Andrew, but um, you know, you, you don't have to pick a favorite. Uh, <laughs> definitely listen, and uh, yeah, man, thanks for being on.
1: Oh, thanks very much, man. Absolutely.